sharing and let you guys continue singing. That was awesome. Thank you guys so much. I love that. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Jesus redeeming us. Well, welcome everyone. October's just blazing by. I can't believe we're over halfway through it already. It seems like it just started. So I want to thank you guys for all your prayers for Ann and Sal. We have Sal here with us today. He is getting better, not completely out of the woods, but getting better. And Ann should be coming home soon, right? Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday. So please continue to lift her up. It's not going to be easy, but um, we look forward to having her back in the Antelope Valley and just keep praying for her care. Also, lift up in prayer, if you would, um, for our state. It's going to be a big deal on Wednesday. We have two congressmen that are suing um, our governor to stop him being a dictator. And so we just want to pray for the judge in this matter. And I didn't even realize this was going on until I start reading the uh, lawsuit they put in where apparently our state legislator is not doing their job and the governor's made over 400 rulings when he's not allowed to. So um, just pray for that. Pray that we can get people back to do their jobs and, and we can follow the California Constitution. So that's Wednesday. Um, and where are we going today? Well, we are going to continue and we're going to go all the way through chapter 4. It's going to be daunting, but, but we're going to do it. And the good thing is we finished last week at 4.1, so we only have the remaining verses. So yes, we're going to look at the remaining five verses of chapter 4. And since we are two thirty-thirds through the book of Isaiah, two thirty-thirds done with it, after today, let's look back and see where we've been so far. So if we think of Isaiah as an outline, this is what we've been seeing. So chapter 1, verses 1 through 31, we see God's charge against his people. God's charge against his people. And then chapter 2, 1 through 5, is the exaltation of God's house and the extension of his dominion. And then right in after that, 6 through 22, the rest of chapter 2 is the day of the Lord. So I wanted to break that out and talk about 1 through 5 because that is like a bright spot without too many bright spots so far. And then we, last week we went over chapter 3, verse 1, through chapter 4, verse 1, and that's God's judgment on Jerusalem, Jerusalem and Isaiah. So, so far we see that God is warning his people and then bringing judgment on them. And it's the picture of a courtroom scene. God showing everyone that what, I, what the people, his people are doing is very serious. And so 
So out of the approximately 80 verses that we've covered so far in Isaiah, we have gone over 74 of them dealing with the sins of God's people and the promised judgment for that sin. So again, only in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and in chapter 3, verse 10, they offer relief. But that ends today. So today, we get to almost double the verses of great promise in Isaiah that we've gone over. We had six, now we get five more. So today we look at Zion's glorious future, and it may be only five verses, but what a wonderful message that God has for us this morning. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, I just want to thank you so much for today, for this morning. Thank you for this time where we get to come together as a body, as your church, and just worship you. Holy Spirit, we just want you to look at us and have us search ourselves and just forgive any sin that we know we committed or didn't realize we commit. Just wipe us clean right now. Make us just come and focus on your words coming out of my mouth today. We just love you so much, Holy Spirit. want you to truly just be with us this morning in a big way and be a witness to us from this passage. Amen. So, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and a refuge and a shelter from the storm and rain. This message, as you can tell, is quite different from what we went over last week. Um, in our community group, we go over the passages that, we've, that we have at church. And so we went over last Sunday's passage this last Wednesday, I explained to everyone that they, hopefully they want to cling to 10 and 3 and, and just none of the rest of them. And verse 10 was, Tell the righteous it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Because we all want to be on the good side of God. And we see in, in Psalm 73, 24 through 25, we see the psalmist say to God, Never, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me with glory. And that reminds me so much of my granddaughter, River, who will come up to you and just say, Hand, hand, 
It's like what we do to Jesus. Hey, let me hold my hand. Guide me through this. And we arrive at this passage reading and hearing the coming day of the Lord. And so we should know this because we have discussed the day of the Lord. We did it a couple books ago in Zechariah. And then this last book we went through in 1 Thessalonians. So we as a church should know this day very well. And Isaiah, we went over the day of the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 12, it said, For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, that it shall be brought low. And then later in chapter 2, in verses 17 and 20, we learned of its effects. It says, And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of man shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And 20 says, In that day mankind will cast away the idols of the silver and their idols of gold, which they have made for them to worship to the moles and the bats as they're hiding in these caves with them. And we learned of the pain of the judgment last week in 3.18 all the way through verse 4.1. And I will spare you guys me reading that again. But now when we read in chapter 4 about in that day, I believe we're talking about a time that after the judgment of that day has taken place. And in verse 4-2, again we see, in that day the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be the pride and the honor of the survivors of Israel. This is in that day. And it is talking about God's people, and they have glory, and praise God, they have survived. Now, as we go through this verse, we see words like beautiful and glorious, fruit of the land, pride and honor, and we see that there are survivors. In verse 3, these survivors will be called holy, and their names were recorded for life in Jerusalem. In verse 4, we see a cleansing, and not just a washing of water, but a divine cleansing. In verse 5, we see a new creation and a divine indwelling. And in verse 6, we see an open shelter that protects and comforts. So this morning, we get to go in and really enjoy this section. So we're going to dig in and we're going to unpack these promises. So the goal will be to learn and also to be refreshed with these promises. So in verse 2, in that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land will be pride and honor for the survivors of Israel. This verse can be easily be an entire sermon or be an entire group of messages. This is so cool. This, just this verse right here. It, in this day, the branch of the Lord will be both beautiful and glorious. And we know the branch they're talking about is Jesus. 
So we went from this ugly scene last week of pain, starvation, illness, and death, to now seeing the promise of being with Jesus forever. And it will be beautiful and glorious. So in Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, we see Jesus' promise is the same way as here, right? It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute judgment, justice, and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And then in Jeremiah 33, 15, we see Jesus as the branch again. It says, In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So, but we know Jesus is more than the branch, right? Because we're going to walk through this. We're going to see that he is our Alpha and Omega. That means he's the beginning and the end in this messianic lineage. So let's look at this. We're going to jump ahead a little bit to Isaiah 11.1. Isaiah 11.1 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And then skipping a little bit further down, we see in Isaiah 11.10, In that day, in that day, the root of Jesse, who stand, shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So let's make sure we know who Jesse is. This was King David's father. Royalty started not with Jesse. It started with David and then his, his sons. And we have never seen a king, we have never seen a king other than David be called the son of Jesse. We see all other kings in David's line called the son of David. So in these verses, we have a picture of a stump. One, the rod or the shoot, was coming from the stump, namely Messiah. He was coming by way of this created, man-created lineage. Later in Isaiah, later, we see the reason for the word picture of the stump. Why is it a stump? Well, I'm going to give you a quick explanation of it but it's because it had to do with captivity. It was a picture of nothing being left. But then to look at Isaiah 11.10, we hear that the coming Messianic king, also being called the root of Jesse. So in this time frame, and still, much, and still very much today in the Middle East, family tree lines and their lineages are very important. Very important. People there have a long memory, long memory. So to say that the king would be coming from the root of Jesse, to them, 
they would have considered this very stunning. Very stunning. It means that the coming Messiah would also be the origin of the Messianic family line. So we see that he not only created it, but took on the form of man, came as a servant, and died. And later, he will come back as this messianic king and fulfill all these promises. So verse 1 again, it says, In that day, the branch of the Lord will come and be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. The fruit of the land is also talking about Messiah and the good news and his arising out of the created order. We see that in Isaiah 11.1 again, but we also see it in one of the servant songs in Isaiah 53.2. And these descriptive words all in verse 2, beautiful, glorious, pride, and honor, are all the qualities possessed by Messiah in both, his, in both his divine and they are literally, we see, for the survivors. We saw last week, last week going through it, we saw that the people in Isaiah's day were seeking great beauty and desired to be seen by others. But now we will see the true beauty in Christ and this beauty will extend to the survivors. Pride and honor. It, it is no mistake that we see this here, like glory and pride. Early we saw the people sought um, glory. In Isaiah 2, 9, 10, we saw that it led to their destruction. Now the divine glory is among them, and will be with them, us, also, forever. And they will take pride in him, and we give him, and we will give him the glory he is due. We will cover the survivors in, in three and, and see what it means. So it says in three, and he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded in Jerusalem. So let's look at that. Been recorded for life in Jerusalem. Book of Life, we also know it as the Lamb's Book of Life. In Revelation 13, 8, we read where God says, the names in this Book of Life were written before the foundations of the earth were in place. And we see this all through the Bible. In Exodus 32:32, Moses spoke to God and said, But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book of life that you've written. He wanted no part of, of leading these people if they would not be forgiven. And in Luke 10, 20, it says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice 
that your names are written in heaven. So let's look what else we can gather out of verse 3. We see that whoever is left in that day, verse 2, going back to verse 2, will be called holy. They will be holy, and they have been selected to live with Messiah forever. They also have been recorded for life in Jerusalem or to be among the living. So where else are these names recorded? Their names were in the book of life and they were before the foundations of the earth. So this group was called survivors, but they were also predestined to be here. So they were predestined survivors before time as we know it began. So we see this group has survived the calamity, but they did so, they survived it with the complete foreknowledge of the Lord. No one survives, no one's going to be surviving, and God's going to come up to him and say, boy, you're here? I didn't think you would make it. You're just not going to hear that. Well, I might, but no one else will. Uh, verse 4 says, When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning. Last week we talked about these daughters of Zion, right? And we saw how everything would be taken from them everything they hold of value, and they would be stricken. And what we learned was this scab would be leprosy. So here's the good news, those. Here's the good news. Those changed, those, change, those survivors will be washed. Or a better word is cleansed of every stain. And instead of filth, you can insert the word vomit. It's a better translation. So we get the picture here of, a inter, of an inner uncleanliness that is cleansed. And this matches perfectly in chapter 3 when you read that they were struck with leprosy. So to get this inner cleansing worked out perfectly. And what we are dealing here, what we are dealing with, is a total, total cleansing of sin. And we see that the Holy Spirit will be cleansing with fire. Which is not the usual picture we get in the Old Testament. You think of Old Testament and fire, it's usually wrath. Like final judgment with fire. So we see a judgment and fire in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. It says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. 
If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And what was really cool about this in our community group last is we were talking about chapter 3, and we talked about the requirement in our Christian walks is to progress during our life and how we are to be moving through what's called sanctification or more like what Jesus commands us to do. Jim brought it up, and I thought it was perfect timing for today as I thought of verse 4. So in this life, in this life, Paul tells us we are running a race, and the goal in this race we're running is to grow in faith, and when our race is done, and we come to the finish line here, Christ say, well done, good and faithful servant. And when we are judged with fire at the end, have our, we need to have our work survive. It needs to survive, and here it says we will receive award. Rather, rather than watching all of our work that we did burn up like wood, hay, and stubble, and see the angelic fire department come in and blow it out, and us escape as we just leapt out of a burning building and survived. Verse 5. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over, over her assemblies a cloud by day and a smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For all over the glory there will be a canopy. This is a great word picture that we get out of this. This is phenomenal. This is the new created Zion. And the word create there gives us the same word that we see in Genesis 1. And then a cloud by day and smoke and fire by night, that gives us another picture of looking at the Exodus, like in 1321. And then the really cool thing we see here is the word canopy. That one word shows us so much that we're taught of in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, a canopy denotes a marriage chamber. So like in Jeremiah 31, 31 and 32, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on that day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. There's that word husband pointing to the New Testament. And then in Joel 2.16, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even the nursing infants, and let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Chamber equates to canopy. So for us in this age, we know that Christ will one day return for his bride, which is the church. So we are seeing a promise written that goes way back here to Isaiah's time, letting us know that the Messiah will be in that day 
reunited with his bride, the church. Now in verse 6, it says, There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and the rain. So here we see God is protecting, promising his people that there will be a protective covering over the people in the new Jerusalem. The imagery, the imagery and with what we saw in verse 5, with a cloud covering them during the day, and smoke and fire by night, and now a booth protecting them from the weather. This should be familiar to us, and it really sounds like the Exodus story. And during that period of the Exodus, God was there, but after the whole mountain scene, with the fire and the rumbling and the shaking, you know, the people wanted to stay clear and have Moses deal with them. They felt God was way too overwhelming. But now, in this part we read, all the survivors will have full access to God and his protection. Sin in the world has limited our ability to be with God, but we will see him and experience those four words from verse, verse 2 in this day. We will understand beautiful, glorious, honor, and pride. And his people will be with God again. This passage has us look to Ezekiel 43, 4 through 5. 43, 4 through 5. As the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner room, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. I really feel this prophecy in Ezekiel is fulfilled in this passage today. God will be in the midst of his people again and will never, ever depart. And then we see another part in Ezekiel eleven nineteen through 20, talking about, I really believe now, in this era. And it says, And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put in them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes, keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. Earlier I mentioned that Paul had likened our Christian walk to a race. Knowing that we will one day be with Jesus forever, knowing this, I still don't think we can truly fathom what is that going to be like. And I know I, I bear witness in my own Christian walk that I don't truly fathom it. I don't. But all I know is the people that we read about in the Bible that got a glimpse of what it's like to be before, be before God. People like Isaiah, in fact, really lived a life that demonstrated they understood what it was. They understood. Just in that brief thing that we're going to be going over in a couple of weeks 
of Isaiah being before the throne of God. This man did nothing but spoke of God even until his death by King Manasseh. So I want to encourage us to stay in that race, seeking that path that leads to sanctification, and when it happens, when we stumble, even when we face plant, that we get up and get back in that race. And, and if you need anyone to help you, just let them know. That's what we're here for. And I want to remind you what's waiting at that finish line. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for your words. Thank you for these powerful five verses and what they mean to us. Thank you so much that we can learn from you and continue learning from you as we seek to reach that finish line and hear, well, well done, good and faithful servant. We just love you so much, and we thank you so much for loving us and offering to put us in a place where we will be forever with you, forever protected, and we will see your beauty, your gloriousness, and our pride and honor will be in the good news of you. Amen.